Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. We're in our second week of looking at um, Acts, the book of Acts, and um, obviously, you know, the theme is around the Holy Spirit and, and the work of the Holy Spirit, especially today as we're in Acts chapter 2. Well, I'm, I'm sure that a number of you did go up to those uh, revival meetings in the tent up there at Maitland, and they were just fantastic. That's where I heard that song, just the mention of his name, and it was great. There was an extended ministry time at the end where people who were sick went out and got prayed for. There are people in here who got prayed for that who just, you know, had healings in their body, who did carpet time. There were people who did carpet time, you know, carpet time. It's one of those Pentecostal things. Like I I was interesting during that, um, you know, that dancing bit just then, no one did the Pentecostal two-step, you know. Anyone around in the 70s? We used to dance the Pentecostal two-step, left kick, right kick, you know. But it was a good old-time Pentecostal revival meeting and there were people all over getting prayed for. It was sort of like chaos, you know, and it was funny. The Holy Spirit really spoke to me and said, and you can interpret this how you want and receive it how you want, but the Holy Spirit said the granary needs a bit more Holy Spirit chaos. (laughs) Well, you know, let him do what he wants to do and don't worry about what that means for you. And if you want to come out and dance, come out and dance. I don't care if it's a Pentecostal two-step or the headbang or whatever it is. If you if you feel like the whole you want to spend time with God after the service or during the service, there are cushions here, there are seats over there. You can just come out and, and just have some quiet time with God. Let the Holy Spirit do in our hearts what he wants us to do. And what that looks like, I don't know. But I will say this, there was one time years ago down at Tice Hill when I was preaching and I barely got the first sentence out and I started to weep and people all in the congregation started to weep and we just couldn't go on. And there were people just coming out the front and kneeling and weeping and repenting and doing all sorts of things. And um, th- that, was sort of, that was it. The rest of it was Holy Spirit chaos. You know, and it might look like that, but it might not. It might look like something different. It might look like a change, a complete change of thinking that that the Holy Spirit brings in amongst us. But I believe he's going to do it. And as we're in Acts chapter 2 today, I want to talk to you about the coming of the Holy Spirit. But before we get on to the actual day of Pentecost, which, by the way, if you have been to Israel with us or you're thinking of coming next year, there are some of these flyers that look like that and it's got a, a on there is a meeting that we're going to be holding to, to be an information meeting. And one of the places we go to is what could be the site of the upper room in the old city of Jerusalem. Now, we're not saying it is, it might be, but it's a place within the walls of the old city where... Um, it, it was somewhere like that, that the Acts chapter 2 events happened and the Holy Spirit fell. And on that day, this is what the book of Acts says before the Holy Spirit fell. Chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, this is before the Holy Spirit fell, and I preceded this a little bit last week. 
I previewed this by by talking a little bit about this, the fact that they weren't just together in one place. They weren't just physically together. They were all together of one heart and mind. And we sort of know this because Jesus was the one who had said to them, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. They'd been obedient to him. So those, those that were his followers, the main thing was they were obedient to Jesus and they did what he said and they were all of one mind. We're going to be obedient to Jesus. This is our heart. This is our mind. And I believe that preceded the coming of the Holy Spirit in that where there is division and where there is backbiting and where there is fighting. By the way, when I talk about Holy Spirit chaos, I'm not talking about that kind of chaos. You've probably been in a places where there's that kind of chaos. People don't get on with each other and fight with each other and disagree and, and undermine one another and they undermine the leaders and things like that. So not that kind of chaos. The Holy Spirit chaos is turn, it, where the Holy Spirit turns our values and turns our world upside down in a good way and the kingdom of heaven becomes foremost in our lives. But this unity, they were all together. They were physically together. They were emotionally and mentally together in one place. The Holy Spirit then comes. The Holy Spirit falls, tongues of fire, um, people speaking in tongues and so on. And then at the end of that chapter in verse 44, it says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. So you know what? Unity and being all together and of one mind to follow Jesus precedes the coming of the Holy Spirit and also is a result of the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's important to God and it's something that we can contribute to and it's something which God, by the Holy Spirit, will increase in our lives as his Holy Spirit comes. So let's set this in its context. The people were in the upper room, the, dis the disciples, 120 of them, and all of Jerusalem was filled because it was the feast of harvest. It was what the Jews call Shavuot. The Jews have three great feast times. They have Passover, around about Easter, 50 days later, they have Shavuot in the middle of summer, the harvest festival. And then in October, September, October, they have tabernacles, which is when we go to Israel. We usually go to the Feast of Tabernacles and take part in that. But back in 1983, Audrey and I, on our first visit to Israel, we were hippie backpackers back then. I know that's hard to believe, but we were. We actually carried a backpack rather than wheeling a wheelie bag and just, just getting it up the steps and that sort of thing. But um, anyway, we spent two months in Israel and we were working on a communal farm, a kibbutz, and on the weekends they used to take us on tours around uh, Israel. And one time during, when Shavuot was on the feast, they took us into Jerusalem. And the way that the Jews uh, celebrate Shavuot, especially the ultra-religious, the Orthodox, is they gather together in the synagogues and they praise and they sing, they dance, they do their famous Israeli circle dances and they celebrate and they read the first five books of the Bible or their Torah, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. They read those all night for the whole night so that in the morning they finished reading the Torah because it celebrates this festival celebrates the giving of the Torah, the giving of the law on Mount uh, Sinai when God gave the law to Moses 
And, you know, we know that at that moment, while God was giving Moses the law, down below the Israelites were singing and dancing around a sacred cow, a golden cow that they'd made an idol. And uh, on that day when the law was given and the covenant, God made a covenant with Israel, you are my people, here is my law for you, that will be the sign of you being my people. At that time, they were rejecting him and 3,000 people died when that happened that day. You can read about it in the scriptures. And so keep that in mind, keep that in mind. 3,000 people died and it was the covenant of law. This is what that feast celebrates. But it also celebrates because it's a midsummer feast, it celebrates the wheat harvest and the fact that God was their provider and that he had given blessings to them with an abundant harvest at the ingathering of the harvest. So it was a an ingathering of a harvest and the celebrating of a covenant. Think about those two things. Keep those two things in your mind, the gathering of a harvest and the celebrating of a covenant. And then thousands of years later, here we have the disciples gathered together in the upper room, the followers of Jesus, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it's Holy Spirit chaos, chaos. Can you imagine if what happened there happened here? So all of you suddenly stood up speaking in tongues which were not known by you and then you ran outside, especially if we were somewhere public like these guys were, they were right in the public square. And imagine Jerusalem was filled at that time because people had come from all over the, the Roman world to um, celebrate the feast. So Jerusalem was packed and out they went. They ran out the doors speaking in tongues and you know what the church has done? Argued about it ever since. Argued about it. Are tongues for today or was it only for the, you know? Look, I speak in tongues. Many people here do. We don't often have something from the front unless it's um, interpreted. There's someone to interpret the tongue. Paul the Apostle said, I, I speak in tongues more than all of you and I wish that you all had, you know, these gifts. And we don't have an issue with it. But if if, if you have that gift, use it. You know, that's right. If you don't, use whatever gifts God has given you. That's, that's great. If you want that gift, come out for prayer later and we'll see what God does. But we've argued about it for 2,000 years now instead of realising what was going on because when the Holy Spirit fell and they spoke in those tongues, what they did was they rushed out but they were praising God and telling his glories and how wonderful and amazing he was and right at that moment, the new covenant had been written in the blood of Jesus on the cross and by his resurrection it was made active. But right at that moment, the new covenant came into reality. God was doing a new covenant, not on Mount Sinai but on Mount Zion. And later on we read that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. 3,000 people died at the coming of the law and the first covenant, the law, law just kills you. If you're just spending your whole life living by rules and regulations, it just kills you, you know. You can never live up to it. But when you live by grace and forgiveness and mercy, this new covenant brought freedom. But it was also a feast, this new, because it was Pentecost, right, 50 days after um, Passover, it was a feast of ingathering. 
you know, why do we get so hung up on the tongues thing when the reason they ran out the doors telling the glories of God was this, a crowd gathered around them, a huge crowd, because there were people in Jerusalem from everywhere. They heard these people telling the glories of God. These these um, guys that were filled with the Holy Spirit were just being witnesses to the grace and the joy and the blessing of this new agreement, this new covenant God had made with mankind. And that's the age that we live in now, the age of the new covenant, covenant of grace and mercy and forgiveness. We don't have to bear shame and guilt. We don't live by just a bunch of rules and regulations. And we'll we'll talk some more about that a bit later. But we need to realise that it was all about God establishing his kingdom, bringing in this new covenant. It wasn't all about tongues. That that wasn't the centrepiece of what God was doing. What God was doing was bringing a new way of relating to him and turning a whole group of people from every tribe and tongue into his witnesses. We, we foreshadowed this, Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Jesus said, and you will be my witnesses. Not you'll do witnessing, you will just be my witnesses. Can't help it. You know, it's just God in us. That's what he does. So what happens is this, they run out into the streets, a crowd gathers and Peter goes, oh, this is great, crowd, you know, let's, let's tell them about Jesus. And so he preaches this amazing sermon, the first Holy Spirit inspired sermon after the birth of the church and after the Holy Spirit came and he finishes it this way. He says this, therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, we love to preach the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the great destiny that he has for us and the fact that we can be healed. But you know what? There's, there's more to the story. There is more to the story. Peter says here, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, talking to the Jews, both Lord and Messiah. Unless we have a sense that we need that crucified Messiah in our life, we need his grace, we need his forgiveness, we need his mercy, there is no no basis for our salvation. There is no experience of salvation because at its core we need to realise that we crucified Jesus. It was our sin that put him on the cross. They might have called out crucified him, but he did that for every generation to come. And even between his death and his resurrection, he went and preached to the spirits in hell. Amazing, amazing. We need to know that. Secondly, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And that's the right response. What shall I do? What can I do about this? I'm, I'm sorry that, that, you know, Jesus went on to that cross for my sin. And this is what Peter said. And by the way, daddy joke alert. This is the first cricket match in the Bible. It's a daddy joke, I'm warning you. Because Peter stood up with the 11 and was bold. There's more people here that liked it than the 
<laughs> More groans anyway. <laughs> so Peter stands up and he boldly declares, what should we do? What should we do? And he says this. Peter replied, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you're able to do this, I want you to do something for me. I want you to, you, you don't have to, for those of you that have mobility issues or whatever, but I'd like you to stand up for a sec. Everyone stand up. And I want you to do a 180-degree turn. So that means some of you will be facing the back wall, some the side walls. Just turn around and face the other way if you can, okay? Now, I want you to imagine that facing that back way is the direction you, or that side wall, that's the direction you were heading on before you became a Christian, before you experienced the forgiveness and the grace and the love of Jesus, you're heading in a certain direction and it's generally a direction of self. It's making up your own rules about what's right and wrong. It's living for anything other than God. It might be living for pleasure, hedonism. It, uh, it, it could be living for material things, you know, the bigger, the more toys, then the better your life will be, whatever it was. But there were things that motivated us. There were things that made us keep going in that direction of the world, the world's direction and the direction of self. And then when Jesus came in, you repented. And repent means to turn. And some of you preempted that because you turned already. Repent means to turn 180 degrees, no longer living for self, no longer living just for pleasure, have a seat, but living for God, living for the destiny that he has on your life, living for his call and finding great joy. But Peter didn't just say repent, he said repent and be baptised. And on the 11th of uh, December at uh, I think the Moyers swimming pool, we're going to be baptising anyone who will. And uh, look, you, I don't particularly want to re-baptise people, but if you were christened as a child, I'm, I'm more than happy to baptise you as a believer because repentance and baptism go together and repentance really happens more in your adult life after the age of uh, accountability. So I have got here some of these uh, brochures, water baptism. Marnie's going to get baptised. Give her a hand on the 11th of December. And she will show you she's got a handful of these. If there's anyone else that wants to get baptised or if you know someone that really should get baptised, take one of these, get them to, it's just a study of the scriptures on water baptism and, um, you know, let's, let's see a whole bunch of people. Let's see people making that commitment to be baptised because Peter said repent and be baptised. If you want one now, Marnie can give you one now. Otherwise, she'll have them in her hand at the end of the service. Thank you, Marnie. So repent and be baptised. But then he goes on and he says this, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Isn't it interesting? It's for all. Repentance, baptism, the Holy Spirit is for all. Doesn't matter. You can be the rottenest sinner or you can be the nicest person. Doesn't matter. Everything in between. And uh, in fact, I will tell you a bit later exactly what God has put in this church, who he's put in this church, because you are a motley bunch. And I'm a part of that. And I'm going to tell you just how motley you are. So 
the birth of the church. Now, let's look at what the result of that was. Holy Spirit comes, run out, witness, 3,000 people come to know Jesus. This amazing revival is happening. The church is born. And what did the church look like? What did that church look like? This is what it looked like. First of all, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So what was number one? The apostles' teaching. So they regularly met with their leaders and sat under the word of God, the preaching and teaching of the word of God, and they had their minds renewed. Because when you've been living in a culture or you've been heading in a certain direction for your whole life, you don't immediately repent and then become perfectly holy and your mind's perfectly renewed. It's a lifetime of studying the word and being taught the word of God. That was the first thing they did. They had to have a change of mind. Secondly, They devoted themselves to fellowship. That's about relationships. If all you do is come to these big gatherings, that's great. We worship and we get our minds renewed by the word of God. But you know what? They devoted themselves to fellowship. That's relationship. And we need fellowship. Not only do we need the fellowship of others in a small group kind of setting, we need to be there to encourage others and to use our gifts to bless others and to support them. Because I tell you what, I had a bad day on Friday, but you'll have a bad day sometime. You'll have a day when you need that small group, you need that support, you need that encouragement, and you need to be in your small group. You need to be fellowshipping. You need to have strong relationships because that's what the church looked like. Thirdly, the breaking of bread. So they they took communion regularly. They broke bread and they stayed centred on the gospel. They stayed centred on the fact that Jesus had forgiven them, that his mercy was free and abundant. And you know what happens when you don't stay centred on the gospel? You become critical of others because you think, you know, how dare they or how can I ever forgive them? But when you know how much Jesus has done for you, when you know how much grace is in your own life, the attitude is, who am I to not forgive? God forgives me every day. Every day his mercies are new. Who am I to treat someone else that way by not being gracious with them? They stayed focused on the gospel, the salvation that's available in Jesus. And fourthly, to prayer, intimacy with God. They cultivated their intimacy with God. They spoke with him. And and this is the God of the new covenant who is Abba Father. Abba Father. My grandkids call me Saba. And um, there's one of my grandkids sitting down the front there. In the 8.30 service, one of my grandkids was sitting down the front, lost a tooth during the service. I don't know if that's happened ever before. That might be a first in the granary. And so Saba means grandfather in Hebrew, and I, I love to bless my ch- children and grandchildren. I just love it. So the Saba fairy turned up with five bucks for the lost tooth, you know. The Saba fairy, well, don't take that literally, the fairy bit, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> believe in angels. But I just love to bless them. But you know what? This is Abba Father, the God of, of, of Jesus, the Father of God, of Jesus, is Abba, 
He's Abba. I'm Saba, the grandfather, but he is Abba, the Father God. And he loves you and he does want to pour out his blessings on you. And if only you'll turn to him with your needs and and with um, you know, your your joy and and just culture that intimacy with him. And then it says this: everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The believers were together and had everything in common. We've talked about that. That was a result of the coming of the Holy Spirit. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had in need. These were all the things that the early church looked like. And then it says, and every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. You've been to the temple courts, Lisa? Big or small? The Western Wall. Huge. Huge. And we'll be there this time next year when we're visiting Jerusalem. The temple courts are huge. They're this massive area. And when we were there, it was the day of the Aaronic blessing where the high priest of the Jews speaks, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you over the whole congregation. And I I seriously reckon there were 10,000 people there. It was like this, you know, and it, it was just amazing. But the temple courts speak of our big gathering and commitment to that and gathering with the other believers in big in uh, big groups. But then it says they broke bread in their home and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. How important is hospitality? How important is the home? How important is gathering in small groups and getting together for fellowship and encouragement and to exercise our spiritual gifts? And they were praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And then the ultimate result, because this is what it's all about. I told you speaking in tongues is great, but this is what it's all about. Here's the last word. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord, that's what it was all about. You know, through the unity and the witness of the church, God was adding daily to the to those who were being saved. Amazing. And so church is critical. It's important. You are important. And But let me tell you what it's like being a pastor. I'll tell you this. We are pastors to everyone who God sends along here. It's our duty as a shepherd cares for his flock to care for you and to do what we can. And sometimes there's nothing we can do. Sometimes I'll have to say to someone, I don't have a car that I can give you. I don't have a house that I could house you in. But you know what? Let's ask Abba Father. Let's pray to God about it. But this is the church that God has given us to pastor, given me to pastor and Sue and Jake for the youth and Rachel for the young adults and Sam Paul for the VIPs and so on. There are a thousand people in this church and we're pastors to all of you, all who are here and are a part of this church. But we are pastors to the saved and the unsaved, to the male and the female, we pastors to all cultural and racial groups, all socioeconomic groups, the rich, the poor, those in, in the middle. We pastors to the homeless and those who live in a mansion. We pastors to the young children, the teenagers, the young adults, the young families, the middle-aged and the old. We pastors to the creatives, the academics, the practicals and the philosophicals. Now, in my family, I've got three son-in-laws and a son, and i got all four of those. We've got a creative, a practical, 
uh, an academic and a philosophical and we all love each other and we all get on, you know, we're one family together. We're pastors to white collar, blue collar and even pink collar people. We try to look after the cholerics, the phlegmatics, the sanguines and the melancholics. And I know a lot of you well enough to know that some of you are cholerics. You like to lead, you like to have vision and get things moving. Some of you are phlegmatics. You prefer to be on a hammock under a palm tree with a book or something. Some of them are are, um, sanguines, people, people, just thrive on people. People tire me out. After meeting with a group or whatever, I'm exhausted. My wife is just energised. She is just excited and can't get enough and, you know, yeah, great, that's finished. Now now where shall we go? Who shall we see next? You know, that's the sanguines. And then there's the melancholics. They're often creatives and often a little bit sort of maybe a bit down or pretty steady eddy sort of thing. Sometimes they're up and sometimes down, melancholics, not always, but often they're creatives and wear their heart on their sleeve. And we're pastors to all those kinds of people. We're pastors to the sick and the healthy. We're pastors to those struggling with mental or emotional well-being issues and those who are up on top of the world. We're pastors to those who we look up to and who mentor us, and we're pastors to those who look up to us and need mentoring. We're pastors to new Christians, long-time Christians, mature Christians, and Christians who have one foot in the world and the other in the kingdom of God. We're pastors to, to, to you all. Still others who have been Christians for years, we're pastors to, even though they're still big babies. i got to tell you, to be honest, I'm not having a go because in brackets I put myself in that category. Okay, so I'm not having a go because I'm having a go at me, really. You know, I feel like I've, as a Christian, I've turned five 40 times, you know, still a big baby. We're pastors to those in a spiritual rut who are stuck in religious tradition and we're pastors to those who move spiritually at a blistering pace. You just can't keep up with the new revelation and stuff. This is an interesting one. We're pastors to the circumcised and uncircumcised. We are pastors to the vaccinated and to the unvaccinated We're pastors to the politically woke and the politically awake and everything in between. We're pastors to those who are down a rabbit hole and those who don't even know what a rabbit hole is. We're pastors to both of those. We're pastors to those who can read the signs of the times and those who are blissfully unaware of what's happening in the big wide world. We pastor a church where some are Pentecostal and speak in tongues and pray for the sick to be healed who prophesy and have people fall over when they pray for them. And we're pastors to some who are from more traditional backgrounds and view these things with a little bit of maybe mistrust or just a bit of "Mm, not sure about that. We are pastors to those who uh, who are from different backgrounds, like some are Calvinists and some are Arminian. We're pastors to them both. But most wouldn't even know which side of the fence they're on with that one so some love the church and some have been hurt by the church and we're pastors to them and if you're here and you've been hurt by church 
you know, I can't guarantee you that it won't happen here, but I can guarantee you that we care about that and and we will love to talk and work, try and work things out and, and, and work things through. Some have come from Catholic backgrounds, some from Orthodox, some from Anglican Uniting or Baptist or any other variant. Some were involved in occult practices before they were saved. Some grew up in Christian families and have always walked with the Lord. Some can tell you the day and the hour that they were radically born again. Can you see what I mean by a motley crew? We are every single one of us so different and so individual and yet here in this place here we are what is it that unites us because we're all here worshiping Jesus together because at some stage somewhere we've had this experience and we've had this realization that Jesus is Lord and that he died for us and that he showered his mercy on us and we had that experience of being born again and of salvation and pastor Sue puts it this way if 1000 pianos are all tuned to the same tuning fork they'll all be in tune with each other. Think about it, a thousand pianos, potentially just all out of tune, but if they're all tuned to the same tuning fork, they will be in unity and harmony with each other. And that's us. When we, in all our diversity, our rich diversity of culture and personality and heart's desires and abilities and experiences, when we come together and keep our eyes focused on Jesus, then we are all one and we are all together in one place. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes. Here's my practical call today. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us and let's think about each other. Pastor Sue often says, you know, if there's someone who rubs you up the wrong way, that's probably God's gift to you to help you to grow and learn to love. Is there someone that rubs you up the wrong way? Is there someone that you need to forgive because they've hurt you? Is there someone who you feel has wronged you? Is there some, is there some area of your own thinking which can be divisive or the way we speak about other people? You know, let's allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us and get that right out of the way so that we can be all together in one place and then the Holy Spirit will come. And I'm not saying it'll be today. I'm not saying I don't know when or what he will do, but I know what it'll be look like because we'll worship in the courts and in the small groups. We'll share things with each other. We'll be of one heart and mind. We'll devote ourselves to teaching and we will just see people added daily to this church and to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you, you have done all of this. You have brought us together. What a motley bunch we are, Lord God. You brought us from all over the world. You brought us from different experiences and life situations. You And, and you've made us one, Lord, and you've given us your spirit. And we pray now, come Holy Spirit. Can everyone say that with me? Come Holy Spirit. We want you to come, Lord. We're willing, you, willing for you to bring about that 
chaos that is actually a beautiful chaos because it's a, a, a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, getting us out of our ruts and, and bringing us um, into your creative presence. And so come Holy Spirit. We just thank you for the blessing of being able to gather freely and we pray that your kingdom will come within us, among us, and beyond us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.